Hello and welcome to the Pearl Dialogues. My name is Wazi and together with Alien I host this podcast. What we do here is explore the nature of reality. For those of you who are new to this podcast and also the Diamond Approach, there are some links in the description that you can check out. In today's episode, we cover a lot of territory that is linked to the Diamond Approach. And Kirsten also shares her journey of becoming a teacher of this school. Some of the topics we cover is Diamond Vehicles, Cultural Conditioning, Essential Identity, Essential Person. So this is an episode with a lot of knowledge sharing and information about the map of the teaching, actually. As always, I welcome you, invite you to sense your arms and legs while listening. So I became interested in spirituality when I graduated from graduate school and I had completed physical therapy school and began a career in physical therapy. And for some reason, I never had this interest before, but I just felt like there was something more to life than just having a relationship, raising a family. All of those are very fulfilling things. Having a career there was something that was arising in me that says there's something more. And I had never had that happen before. I wasn't involved in like any kind of religion as a child. Uh, the only spiritual experience I have, I guess a couple as a child, one was um, when I, a friend and I were playing on someone else's porch in a big refrigerator box and we were tipping it back and forth and I had stepped out and the box hit me in the ribs and knocked all my air out. I started running home, which was just a couple a door, a couple houses down, and I just, I couldn't breathe. And I laid down on the sidewalk and I looked up at the sky. It was dark. And, and, and I looked over at the TV, was glowing through the window of my house. And I said, gosh, I'm going to miss my family. And then I looked up at the sky and I said, okay, I'm ready. And then I breathed suddenly um, and something happened. I had a really high fever that night. So something happened, but that was very interesting that I really didn't have a concept for what happens after we die, but then I did. And then the other spiritual experience, which was actually pretty terrifying, is I had a period of time where I would go to sleep and feel just this black neutrality, this never-ending blackness. And I thought, that's where I was going to go when I died. And my experience forever would be black neutrality, nothing else. And I went to my mom and said, is this really what happens? 
and uh, you know, she she was lovely and she comforted me the best she could. But that experience stayed for like every night for about a week, this blackness. And then other than that, I was really just caught up in normal childhood. I had some difficulties in childhood. So just getting by, trying to survive, getting myself through school, getting myself established with a career. And that flame just started rising in me. Um, I also I also really admired people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi, who combined their spirituality and their spiritual path with uh, some kind of social action and care about the rest of the world. And that was that also influenced me as well. And so I bought some books on meditation, learned how to meditate. I read a lot of books about Buddhism. Um, and then, you know, the Buddhists talk about the ego. Like, what is that? It's like I couldn't quite really figure out what that was. And I knew it had something to do with my personality and me, but it was it was said a lot without really defining it well. And I was at an office uh, going through a series of rolfing sessions, and one of Hamid's books was there uh, in the waiting room. And it was his book on essence. And, and I was just kind of flipping through it. And I found a page where he described what the ego is so much more clearly than I ever heard. And so I went through my rolfing session. And when I got out, I took that book down to Kinko's, which was just a couple blocks away. And I photocopied the whole book because I had to read the rest of it right then. That was back in the day before we had uh, digital, digital copies of things. So I had to make a photocopy on paper. Do you remember that? Did you grow up with that paper and words on paper? That's what we had to do. <laughs> so I photocopied this book because I it just lit up spark of truth in me. There's something that drew me like a moth to the flame to this book and this teaching. And uh, so I read the book and uh, a Diamond Approach group was starting in my area soon after. And I joined that, that path. So the Diamond Approach has been my main path I haven't say, you know, some people came into the diamond approach uh, from another path that they were in for years and years, but diamond approach has been my main path. And uh, the question that comes up for me as you share your story is, how would you describe what is the diamond approach path for you? What I really loved about the diamond approach path is the process of inquiry open-ended inquiry and discovery because i am a person who's very naturally curious i've always loved to learn and love to learn about things 
And here is something, our own soul, something that we always have contact with, that is an endless source of discovery and learning. So that, that really, I, for me, was, was really what I've loved about this path is the open-ended inquiry, not about a goal, not about getting somewhere, but having this incredible map and this incredible wisdom about the common things that happen as the soul is unfolding, as we're contacting more and more presence and our personality is getting thinner, some parts of it dissolving. Because there's certain steps that happen along the way, and there's a lot of knowledge and wisdom about how that generally looks with all of us. Since since we have different histories, you know, there'll be different details about that. But it's so helpful, like when when I'm in inquiry and something is unfolding in me. And, you know, Karen or Hamid's voice or one of my teachers, Jessica was one of the, uh, the main teacher in my first group, the voice would come in about something that then just that little bit of understanding, oh, this might be what this is about. And then it starts to unfold. Um, you know, our guidance, our contact with guidance does that as well. Once at first, we are usually engaging in inquiry from our personality. So our personality and its perspective of awareness is looking around and kind of making sense of things. And then at some point, especially when we're in inquiry and we ask diamond guidance to come in at some point we recognize that there's some potentiality that is starting to happen and something else that is making sense of what what the fabric of our soul what is arising in the fabric of our soul at that time and, you know, that's a period of time where then our, our personality goes, wait, I, I want to know, or I want, it, I want it to go this way, or I definitely don't want it to go that way, because I've put that down in the basement. And, <laughs> and I've um, related to people and uh, lived my life without my knowledge or anyone else's knowledge. So uh, time and guidance as well as really kind of letting go of the reins of our inquiry and allowing uh, uh, that wisdom of that vehicle, that brilliancy, that vehicle to start connecting the dots for our soul to unfold. So, so, so both are helpful. We have a very detailed, uh, wise path, wise map for our path that Hamid has laid out and other teachers. And you mentioned the diamond vehicle, which is a unique term to the diamond approach, the diamond guidance. Would you could you share a bit about your understanding of what that is for our listeners? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm 
human vehicles are forms of being that address universal uh, truths about the personality. And these, the forms of being in the diamond vehicle have all of the essential qualities as part of the form that then is entering or influencing our soul to help it open up something very fundamental about how the personality formed and covered over the full knowing and experience of who and what we are. And so the diamond guidance addresses the fact that our personality thinks that it knows, thinks that it knows ourselves, thinks that it knows reality. And the personality can only take us so far to the, the full knowing of our soul. The diamond dome is another diamond vehicle that uh, tends to affect the head. And it addresses um, how the personality can have experiences, but to truly know presence is to be presence without any separation. And that's also a, a, a sequence, a step-by-step process of first, you know, we, we have our personality selves and we're having these experiences of presence and as our self having an experience of presence, the diamond dome comes in, everything gets quiet and, and you are presence. The, the stupa is a diamond vehicle uh, of love, and love erases all boundaries without erasing the sovereignty of the soul. So personality tends to divide us into lots of different parts that, you know, some, some are okay with us, some are painful. It divides the world in parts. It's us and the world. And some people we're drawn to, some people not so much, so that it interferes with our experience of unity of the world. And the stupa comes in and shows us through our heart and through love that we're not separate from anything, because everything is that fabric of of presence. Everything is that manifestation of the absolute. The um, diamond will. I mean, I could I could go on with the other the other diamond vehicles as well, but they're addressing real nuggets of where where our personality gets stuck, and um, and we know we're we know that we're experiencing a diamond vehicle a couple ways. One is that it 
it affects our experience. Like, like, a, I, like the example that I said about diamond guidance, like when we feel something start to come in, there's usually a potentiality in our soul and we just wait. Okay, how is this affecting our soul? How is this affecting our consciousness? Oh, that's starting to connect some dots with the stupa. Okay, how is this affecting my soul? Oh, starting to feel in a loving way that, that nothing is separate. And then, you know, some issues come up with that normally because we want to be separate from some things. But, but oh, you know, yeah, I'm not separate. And there's love here. Um, Diamond Will, that tremendous support that that comes into the, the soul. It's like, okay, you feel something coming in, you wait. Oh, my mind is quiet. I won't have to do anything to be. There's this tremendous support just to be. And it takes every essential quality to for, for that diamond vehicle to complete its unfolding of the soul. Because for us to feel we're not separate from anything in our life as we relate to others, as we function in the world, as we hear about the different things that are going on in the world, it takes strong love. It takes supportive love. It takes powerful love. It takes, it takes merging love, golden love for ourselves and for the world. And that, that points to the second way that we start to know that it, where a diamond vehicle is coming into our soul field is that we, we start to feel two qualities at once. Like with the stupa, all of the qualities arise as love. It's like, oh, this isn't just strong. This is a strong love. This isn't just powerful. This is a powerful love. So with diamond guidance, all the qualities arise as, as uh, intelligence. Diamond intelligence, not the intelligence of our personality, which can be pretty intelligent, but nothing like, like that diamond vehicle. Oh, love is coming in as an intelligent quality to touch this part of our soul, because this part of our soul needs that intelligent quality of love to let go of the reins of knowing. And to know that we have, we don't even have control over our inner experience and to let go and to let that unfolding happen. Markaba, that's another important one too. It addresses the, that outward turn of the soul that what we love, what is good, all the yummy things are out there, you know, chocolate cake and the lover and, and, uh, all, and those things that are powerful drivers to go outside of us. 
all the things that media can can pull us in and um the macabre comes in with its pleasure and its fun right inside of us for no reason and when we're drawn back to that computer a pleasurable strength can come in that helps us go no actually pleasures right in here the primary pleasure is is with being and with our soul and all the qualities that are inside of us nothing nothing outside holds a candle to the tremendous pleasure of our being hmm. yeah there's a lot of information and knowledge in that and <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> really yeah, i'm just taking it in i'm like whoa yes <laughs> <laughs> and um one thing that i want to touch on is um we speak of the pleasure of being and it's interesting how for such a long time and for so many I think the, the pleasure of being, to a large extent, eludes a lot of people, right? Yeah. Uh, so initially, and for a long time, there seems to be that, that very, that pleasure of the depth and the pleasure of being, the pleasure of essence is rather unavailable um, for a very long time till we work and digest and uh, process a lot of the barriers and structures that hinders us from experiencing that pleasure. Although it does come out in the kind of those peak moments of our lives. So it comes out in a, a little bit of a distorted form, but people can feel it in like being out surfing on a wave, you know, a certain freedom or climbing up the side of a mountain or being in love. You know, there are, there we aren't, we're never fully cut off unless we've been through tremendous trauma. But you're right. When Once we start recognizing how available it is, once we've traversed what's in the way, yeah, we realize that, wow, we were living uh, very, very li in a limited way as far as the goodness and pleasure just within our own being and in the presence that's around us all the time. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that and to like having that type of awakening of relating with people in, in being. Like mm. at the going to a center where people are just putting their phones away and their computers away and being like, okay, we are here and we are now. And usually involves quite a lot of curiosity and eye gazing. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's uh -huh. something yeah. in that. And then not finding Netflix and chilling or Netflix at all as interesting as it was before. This getting. Uh -huh entertained like um, and one of the most 
difficult things for me when I got a child was to accept the fact that I couldn't sit in these long conversations with people that I couldn't mm-hmm. sit and be totally connected in being and mm-hmm. in depth and exploration and going deeper and deeper um, I'm not talking about inquiry I'm just talking about that yeah. hanging out right right um, because then comes something else and goes like no put your attention here yeah so, yeah oh. And children require a lot of attention um, mm. in, a, in a beautiful way and a lot of needs. And it's, it's I found with my stepsons that it was, it was, I worked very hard and, and maybe you do too, Elin, as part of our path and part of our practice in the world. Okay, how present can I be when I'm with my children? Can I still feel my body and feel my inner experience and feel them as well feel hey look at me jump off the edge of the pool for the 20th time and (laughs) you know and boy children challenge you in ways that that I think um we don't get in other parts of our life too so using I I used those challenges as a way to grow, it's like, okay, when my reactivity comes up, can I hold that in um, and then use it for inquiry and start to respond another way? Yeah. Do you find that, uh, and kids, that's another thing about kids too, they are so open. Like I just, I, I, my grandchild is almost two years old and now to have, to have my experience and the amount of development and realization that I have and to look at that baby boy and see, you know, look at him like when I'm experiencing point, looking at him from there and seeing him smile because he, at some level, it's resonating with him. He has no concept for it. He doesn't know he's a, he's starting to know he's a person now, but as a baby, he didn't know that. Um, so I so enjoyed, I am enjoying that. I, I wasn't involved in my uh, wonderful stepson's lives until they were five and 10, but still uh, the, do you, there's such an openness and joy and it gives you the chance to remember how your soul started out. I mean, kids have their connection to their instincts and their tremendous wants and their tremendous needs, you know. So that's there's the, there's that part of of a soul entering a body and the body really being totally helpless, dependent, and have all of these tremendous forces coming through. But also that soul that is not fully covered over by the personality yet. That is what we, that's our soul. That's, that's what we return to, that openness, that joy. When we first experience the soul directly, it often feels like a youthfulness, an innocence, an openness, natural curiosity that you, that you know in your son. And, and uh, people who are around kids can, can see that part of their children. Not that children are enlightened, you know, there's other things that need to come, but it's 
so beautiful when we can contact that innocence again because we never lose that innocence and purity that we see in the best of times babies when they are content or when they're breastfeeding. I don't know if you breastfed your son, but that, that connection and eye contact and purity. It just, I think that's why children just and babies melt our hearts. Just, that's who we are. That's who we are. We're still that soul. It just got covered over. As you, as a back to what you were saying, Wazi, we we lose contact with that to a large extent, except um, kind of peak experiences, enjoyable ones. Maybe other cultures are different too. In the Western culture, it's so busy uh, here in the United States. Uh, the culture really doesn't support it. I, other cultures I, I may may though. I've only lived here in the United States. Do you want to say something, Erin? Before going on to something else? Or? No, no, no. I, I just had yeah. something come up that I wanted to, to, to address because we were talking about this pleasure principle and, or not pleasure principle, principle but uh, this potential for experiencing pleasure in being and pleasuring in our own existence it made me think about hedonism because i i feel that our culture and the orientation of a lot of people is or i mean generally a lot in in in, in our culture yes let's just use that word there is this move towards pleasure that is more hedonistic i feel like like a consumptuous kind of uh, way of in, uh, experiencing pleasure which can manifest in social relationships food any many different types of activities where like you said that there is this element of thwarting or distorting that it points to something real you know at its origin which is that being itself has an aspect of pleasure but we tend to turn outward and and seek something to uh, that is some kind of a replica of the real thing um mm -hmm. and i just wanted to highlight that because that's what something i see a lot of in norway particularly mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. and and which makes sense because by the look of the world, it's not the case that most human beings are experiencing essence in a in a prolonged and in a very available way. Right. Yeah. 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 And as you say that, I I feel compassion for that because that there's a reason why we turn out outward in a hedonistic way for pleasure. We've lost contact with something fundamental to us, and we're looking for it. And so that's a very natural thing to do. And combine that with the incredible instinctual nature that we also have to come to terms with and um, clarify over 
over our realization, then it can be very powerful forces that cause us to turn out towards things, very powerful compulsive forces. But it's really coming from a very natural place because we've lost contact with something inherently pleasurable and inherently good. And we're looking for it. And we're looking for it in in the ways, you know, for different people and the ways that we've been conditioned uh, to look for it uh, or ways that we've contacted it before. It feels like you has described my entire beginning of my 20s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> in, in different ways of wanting to understand or connect or right. joining and uh, joining the fun joining the hedonism and seeing where it take took me because it was what you were supposed to do but also because i wanted to feel alive oh, like, uh-huh. uh, yeah mm. and there's also this like edge of it's kind of I think in my culture, expected. I live in Sweden, so the country next to the sea. But then there's also this limit of like, don't go too far. Like you cannot, you know, don't become an addict of anything. And uh-huh. or so, but but yeah, I have a lot of a lot of compassion, and I have had some people that I loved dearly. That's. Uh, are and uh, have been abusers of different substances uh-huh. um, yeah. from an early age like uh-huh. yeah um yeah it's interesting is to watch them and be a part of them i haven't really partaken so much in it i was but i was always like in the same i was an observer to a lot of uh-huh. it, to a lot of people exploring reality or trying to dampen their own anxiety and trying to reach pleasure. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. 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 There's, some, there, there's something curious about that, yeah. Yeah, right. And at, at some point, we people find, we find that it's never quite enough. You know, it... And I think it's when people get involved in drugs, unfortunately, you know, they get some good experiences, some good highs, and then they need a little bit more, or they recognize they come down from it. And here's an easy way to get it again, or in the arm or wherever, the joint. And, uh, but it, it's always, uh, it doesn't last. And sometimes when you come down from it, it can, can be a deep disappointment to come off. It's like, dang, that wasn't it. Dang, that wasn't it. Maybe this is it. Maybe I need to go do this, make a lot of money. Maybe I need to go do this. That's nice that you you recognize that in your 20s, because sometimes it takes people to their 50s and they get to that point and they have everything that they thought would fill it. And it doesn't. Gosh. And that's the opportunity to come inside because it's it's a reality that it's it's always there, 
and it's unconditional. It doesn't depend on those conditions, although certainly conditions can can throw us off. You know, even the most realized person, perhaps if if their house just got bombed in in one of the wars that are happening in our world, you know that that might be a, a limitation on that. But in our everyday life. We keep looking, keep striving, because there's actually the reality is that it is available. It is a possibility. It is a potential for us and a very natural one for our soul and for for the reality of presence and space and love that is here also in this material world that feels so hard and that our five senses, you know, sense. We also have the the senses of our soul that in in this culture just did not get developed. The senses of our soul that experience the reality that is also here, also here with this physical reality. We just use different senses. Yeah, I think from here we would be interesting to explore in the in, initially you you mentioned and talked about the essential person the essential identity which is something that the down approach teaching has explored extensively and also uh, have teachings on um, so that's that would be one thing that we could explore from from here and also i would love to hear more about your experience personal experience of yeah, doing the teacher training, becoming a teacher, how you relate to that, how is that for you, and and how do you view being a teacher in of itself? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a couple of <laughs> possibilities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, the essential identity and essential personhood first, because that is also a part of what the seminary training is about and uh, that particular development that you have to at least move towards if not realize a bit before you become a teacher the the essential identity and the essential personhood i think is a real jewel of our path There's a lot of paths that talk about non-duality, the non-dual experience, which is a a wonderful experience to experience that everything is a a fabric of, of presence, of clear awareness, of love, um, dynamism. So, so non-duality really shows us that we're not separate and it's a deep deep relief to our soul actually that we're not separate in that way the way that our personality kind of has formed around our body and has made us separate but what i see a lot is that the people who talk about non-duality then feel like they have to be their personality to um, interact with other people and to function in the world. 
almost like they see the ego personality as a structure that's always there and you realize non-duality and then you come back into the world and you you use this structure to then relate and function in the world when actually for one non-duality actually is is right here all the time it certainly can be a transcendent experience which is also a wonderful relief to be relieved of this world for a while and ourselves <laughs> for that matter um so uh people are our path knows that there is an essential person that can form and be in the world to relate from an essential place with full contact with our presence, our soul, our qualities of being. And part of there are two qualities that have to do with our being an essential human being in the world related uh, that our personality really imitates. And one is the essential identity. Our personality uh, creates an identity based on something other. It's, it's ourselves doing something like I'm a, I'm a surfer. We take on identities. I'm a surfer. I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm a rich person, wealthy person. I'm a poor person. Can be related to quality. I'm a heartful person. I always care about others and do things for others. I'm a smart person. I learn these things and I know how things work. So we form an identity, a sense of self uh, related to some kind of other, lots of kind of others, actually. And it kind the uh, it's that identity is imitating our, uh, an essential identity, actually, because there is a like a point that that comes into our soul. It's a point of light, a point of brilliant light. And it's an essential quality, just like other essential qualities. And it gives us the sense of, I am here. I am. The soul doesn't necessarily need that all the time. The soul is formless and uh, it's this conscious, aware presence. But our soul comes into a body. Our soul comes in here to a body and infuses a body. And that, that I am, and where is nothing missing, unique, special I am, that tells the soul, that informs the soul, oh, I am. I am, and that challenges, so the personality is trying to imitate that I am. I am an intelligent person. I am a surfer. You probably have lots of things that are part of your identity, as I have had too. 
So the the real issue with the personality imitating that identity is that it doesn't have that specialness of our essential identity. It doesn't have that uniqueness. So it needs to gather it from the outside. You know, so we all with those identities, we need to be seen for them. Look, look, I'm special. I'm the I'm intelligent or I'm the most intelligent. We need some kind of, of mirroring our specialness from the outside. I'm a heartful person, and then we connect with someone who also thinks I'm heartful, and we share this kind of feeling between us. Yeah, I see you. You're special. You see me special. That's all just trying to, to imitate the specialness of our essential identity. We, can, we also, the personality also gets that by idealizing others. Like often when we join a spiritual path, we think, oh, isn't this a great path? I'm a part of this path, you know. So it's very natural for the personality to gather up things of kind of specialness and value because our personality identity doesn't have it naturally. So it gives us a sense of kind of a special sheen that can give us a sense of grandiosity. And it's important to feel how that feels when we're feeling that personality sheen and where we get it from and when we get it and, and all these outside things that it's about. Um, and as we start to contact presence, As we start to contact what is really real presence and qualities of presence, that starts to make that personality sheen, a personality and the sheen that it gets of specialness, it, it, uh, it gets thinner. It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't feel as real as presence does. Actually, that starts to feel kind of fake. And that is conditional. You know, I'm trying to get the specialness from other people, but sometimes it doesn't come. And when it doesn't come, when someone doesn't see me as special, I actually feel like crap. Oh, shit, maybe I'm not special. I start to feel deficient. You know, so we're, we're going back and forth between kind of grandiosity, feeling special, then feeling deficient. And all of that is just saying something true about that personality identity. It's an imitation of a brilliant point of light where nothing is missing. I am. There. So to get to that from this personality identity, to that point of light, we have to go through the truth of what our personality identity is. It actually doesn't have any specialness on its own. And that is a tremendous wound. Because again, our soul and who we are is so special. And to be separated from that is so incredibly painful. And when that personality identity becomes thinner and thinner, 
people don't mirror us or if the usual things don't mirror, we might get rageful, might get hateful at the, how dare you not see me? How dare you? Um, all kinds of defenses come over this incredible, sensitive, deficient, painful place where our soul got separated. Soul got separated as that identity was formed. So we have to go through the painful way, the painful way we got separated. And it is a wound of deficiency with no with no nothing to comfort, nothing to make it better. Just empty deficiency. That's it. And it's our contact with our essential qualities, like it takes some contact with strength to be able to endure that kind of wound, some contact with, with support to, to persevere and feeling it, some contact with compassion, compassion to fill that wound. And I keep, I keep touching my chest because our soul infuses our body and it's a wound of our soul. But as our soul is infusing our body, it actually feels very physical, like we actually have an open wound. It could be in our chest. It could be in other places in our body. It, it really does feel physical wound. Um, but when we start to move through it, we don't try to, through our thoughts, oh, yeah, I, I try to bring back our identity. We give up. We give up. Um, we don't get meaning from the outside, kind of like you were saying, Elin. Don't get meaning from uh, those, those things that we're trying to collect for pleasure. We try to collect things to shore up our identity, make us special. We won't do it anymore. We go through that sensitive, painful wound. And at the bottom of that emptiness and that blackness, that eventually that essential identity will come through. And it's like, oh, that's what I was trying to imitate. This is not conditional. This comes from the source. This comes from the the absolute, the non-duality. This is who I am. I can be a person while being the whole person right here on this earth and the whole. And unless we know about, see, this is, this is where the wisdom of the map of our path comes in so handy because when we start feeling that, painful wound it just helps to know what it's about so we that just have okay this is what this is okay may i maybe i can endure it or if we have no idea what it is it's like guidance will it will eventually bring us there if we have a real strong connection to guidance but our guidance also uses our ordinary knowing our conceptual knowing of our path and it can just really be helpful moving through. So 
So that that's uh, the essential identity, and and we feel that, and it gives our soul a sense of identity. We don't; it's not there all the time. It's like a quality, and then from that identity, we can relate to others. We can do our taxes. We can doesn't it doesn't totally take our identity, but we don't have to become someone else to do those things. We don't have to become a smart person and do our taxes or or a, a person who sometimes our identity is built on painful things, you know, negative things. We are, we've been through so much, someone has been through so much difficulty. Oh, I've been through the most difficulty and look, I can still do these things. So it doesn't always have to be positive, but we don't have to go and form an identity then to, to be a, a person in that world, in the world, and a person, an identified person, a person with an identity. And then the, the pearl, the personhood is another part of our sense of self of being a person. But, but we can pause on that for a moment and just see if there's anything about kind of that path of, of becoming an essential identity or what that is like and what the personality is imitating if you have a say or, or we could just pause. I'm, I'm open for both. I... A little breath. It's it's very rich. Everything you're talking about. I feel like oh, I'm just gonna need to sit down and inquire and inquire and um, and I also have a curiosity because I'm exploring the soul child right now. So oh. and because you're talking about this, I was like, okay, how does the soul child fit in? And maybe that takes it somewhere else or even. So, but that was what came up in my heart. And then I also just want to acknowledge the pain I feel in my heart, listening to what you're talking about. I can feel that pain. Ah, yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. It is. That's good. You can feel it because part of going through that wound of identity is learning how to tolerate that pain takes a while just to tolerate yeah mm. and this it's interesting child. i become i've i've become more and more used to feeling this pain of the heart but a part mm. of my well-meaning superego is like maybe you should go to a doctor and make sure nothing is wrong with your heart <laughs> yeah, because right. you know <laughs> you feel a lot of pain nowadays like <laughs> <laughs> right um right. so um yeah. yeah i don't know maybe i need to do that but yeah i can feel it it's like well mm. yeah it, it is a tough one that, that wounding and 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 if if we, it's always good you know if we feel like there is a physical part of it to go and and see a doctor um and just make sure get that off of our plate but but it, but yeah. the yeah the physical nature of it you know comes right to the that kind of outer shell, that identity that we've formed on. And once that shell starts to get pierced, yeah, it's very painful. It does feel physical. There's there's other reasons why our heart can be wounded. 
But the soul child, yeah, he bring up the soul child. That's a, a powerful form of our soul. I find uh, what I've found is that the soul child and our um, clarification of that form of our soul it really is something that lasts all through our our realization and our unfolding. It comes back around. And let me see what I can say about the soul child. I, a teacher used to say, my small group teacher used to say, the soul child is so powerful because the soul child has a foot in personality and a foot in being. So the soul child, that form of our soul, and by, by form of our soul, um, our soul is this dynamic, changing, conscious, aware presence that brings forms to the surface, to our conscious awareness, and then they come back. And that, for, that, that soul then gets kind of structured by our personality, by repeated experiences. So, so we experience ourselves as patterned in our personality. And the sense of soul child still has connection to being, connection to our, our actual soul, uh, connection to its, its innocence, its liveliness, its openness. Um, we, it feels good. Uh, sometimes our soul child is the part that's so playful that goes out and and experiences this world in its fullness, you know, and it does so with a part of our truth, the part of the truth of who we are. But it's also like five years old. <laughs> and so it gets us in trouble. It, uh, it wants to kind of pull us away into these uh, either adventures or mine, mine really, I, when that form of my soul, I, I shouldn't even say when that form of my soul would arise, it's kind of always there within our, within, I'll say this for me, there, I realize it's always there within my personality. And my soul child wants to do what she wants to do. It wasn't anything specific, but just wanting to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so when I'm getting ready in the morning and I can see it's getting close to time to go because I want to be because I want to be on time. Some part of me wants to be on time for, for work or for whatever. My soul child would come and just like take over my consciousness and I would start doing this and I would try, I would look at that clock and I would think, okay, I've got this much time. And I swear it would just like do a mind swipe on me and I'd find myself, you know, doing something else that was a little more pleasurable than walking out the door. It took me probably 10 years to to start to um, not follow 
that soul child not allow it to take take over really really my consciousness in the way in the powerful way that it it did so that that uh is a form of our soul that really um comes to bear on all of our work on all of our work with our essential qualities with our essential identity with our essential personhood because our soul child and it also can have our instincts in it no i just want to have sex and eat cake at the same time as a matter of fact no i don't care about this and there's joy in this i know there's a soul child that says there's joy in this i know it is i can feel it it's real but boy, it's got that powerful instinct. And to reel that in, I, I found for me and a lot of people, it, it does, it takes a big arc of work to do that and to start to peel away qualities of true joy, say, if that's what a, a soul child is about, real joy from this form that usurps it and tends to cause some trouble in our adult lives yeah thank you for touching on that now i'm really curious about what you mentioned before but uh, like your path into becoming a teacher um, ah. yeah ah, say something about that <laughs> if you want and you can also ask us questions if you want. But we're also open for that. But yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Oh. Oh. I entered the seminary of our work, I think after about 10 years, 10 or 10 or 12 years in our path. And in the seminary process, number one, we, we need to be able to do several things. Number one is become more realized in our path. So have, have more contact with presence, qualities of presence, you know, compassion, strength, will, power, joy, curiosity, you know, and all of the different characteristics of each of those qualities. So we have to have some, some dissolution and thinning of our personality so we can sit in presence with another person. We also have to know some things about uh, the map of our path. That was something that I wasn't used to when all of my work and inquiry, I really didn't. I, I, would, I, read, I would read the books once, but I really developed uh, ability to sit in inquiry and allow inquiry to unfold my process. I didn't have a good sense of the conceptual knowledge of the path. And conceptual knowledge is one thing. It's helpful in the way that I've in the ways that I've mentioned. And knowing the path through experience 
is is another way to know it. So both, you need to be able to do both. And we also have to learn to sit with another person and maintain our contact with presence and learn how to help their personality open up to what is real in them, open up to their soul that is infusing their body, their personality. And so we learn ways to do that and we practice a lot on one another. And practicing on one another in the seminary is very different than someone who has never done inquiry before. And open-ended inquiry is our main uh, modality in our path. So we need to be able to teach people to inquire, sit with them and inquire. Where we're sitting makes a big difference because we are transmitting the presence, the openness, the curiosity that there that will register within their soul and help it open up, along with other knowledge about the personality and how the personality tends to show up, how personality patterns tend to show up, what they're related to. So the questions that we ask can be and like feel sometimes that like they come out of the blue. We all know like with our personality, it's like, well, it's just the way it is. Like having needs is just, why would you want to have needs? You know, I just, I, I go along and I can take care of things. And so just the way you can ask a question and question, help the person question their own personality patterns can help them. Oh, and just then start to turn, just start to turn inward, start to turn towards themselves, start to know that those things are, are patterns. So it's a big arc of learning that happens in the seminary. And um, for me and and a lot of times since since to get through the seminary there you need to unfold uh, we we all go we all go through our paths and there's certain we all unfold in easier ways you know for our soul to tolerate and because some of the deeper structures or the more painful things it takes some contact with essential qualities then to have the next layer of unfolding and have the next layer of things come up. So in the seminary, it really challenges the areas that you have not unfolded yet in our path as a student. It puts a pressure on those areas to unfold. So it's very difficult. It's, it's a difficult journey because there's a reason why those places haven't unfolded. And myself and people, sometimes you find uh, difficult layers of trauma that you either have not dealt with yet, or maybe that you didn't remember that you know, sometimes just unfolding a layer of your soul and then wonk, you know, 
this happen? It's like, oh, and then your soul is rocking and rolling and, um, you know, doing its work to, to um, understand those very difficult places, move through them, let qualities of presence heal them. A lot of people uh, connect with trauma therapists because that really has a a specific modality to heal traumatic parts of our soul. Um, all the while that you're learning how to work with students. And then the, the particular part of working with students is in the seminary, you are uh, filming yourself working with students, of course, with their permission, and they know that you're in training. And so other people are seeing you work with students and they're seeing other people, your teacher and your, your group, your supervision group. So they're seeing you do well in some ways and do not well in some ways. So it's a very talk about that wound of specialness. It's like, Oh, oh. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're there with the student and you're being, and you're being evaluated and, so that that's a great place actually to unfold any more or or any more of that wound of specialness of identity. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be the best teacher and I got it going on. It's like bam, bam, bam. <laughs> and it gives us the opportunity if especially if we haven't uh, um confronted that part of our soul to continue to work, work that part. So um, it's a very difficult process. I, I found it to be very difficult and uh, very rewarding, not only for my own realization, because I, 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 my soul unfolded and I contacted more of myself, more of reality through that process than I would have without, for one. And then secondly, helping people who have that flame to know themselves more deeply, to know them, the more real parts of themselves and reality, to, to help people to do that and to help them with their journey. It's just such a rewarding experience. It can be humbling at times too, because again, you transmit all that you are transmit your realized parts and your unrealized parts so those come forth you know as well with students you're sitting right there in a field with them um but uh yeah i i, I find it very rewarding do it's 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 been my love it's been my love it's this path and this this discovery this this discovery has been my love so i love to engage that love with others yeah i feel that coming through when you speak that i can i can definitely feel your love for the path and uh, the dedication in understanding it and really giving yourself to it in a very full way. That's my sense when you speak. Yeah, yeah. Makes yeah. me curious about both of your 
uh, what you, what brought you to the path and kind of what you love, what, what engages it for you. I invite you first. <laughs> um, you invite me first, huh? <laughs> yeah. Last time we did this question, only I answered. So now I invite you first. <laughs> you invite me first, yes. Okay, yeah. So... What do I love? Or, oh yeah, or what do you love? Or what, yeah, what thrills you? What engages you? What ter- What brought you to this path? Any of those. I would say what engages me. Is, uh, what comes up for me is sincerity. I feel that. Sincerity is something that engages me with this path and with life in general, that I can feel that I want to know the truth. I want Mm. to know the truth. I want to know the full truth. I want the truth. So there is a desire and a flame and a burning for the actual truth, which means the truth in our situation right now, the truth about you, the truth about alien, the truth about myself, the truth about the world, the truth about reality. So uh, foundationally, I would say that is the principle that governs my soul, the desire and the love, which is a form or one way, another way of saying the love for truth. But there is a wanting for truth, and and, uh, I feel that this path facilitates for that revelation, that unfolding, that opening, that discovery on deeper levels. I also see that this path evolves my soul, that by engaging this path, by applying myself by involving myself with this path my soul has evolved my mind has evolved in some sense you could also say that my body evolves Um, so it affects me in a way that leads to growth which is tangible and something that i've observed over a long period of time And how that, what that gives me or affords me in my everyday life is that there is more depth, there is more clarity, there is more maturity, and also, um, I would say, maybe most importantly, that my willingness, my willingness to be truthful and my ability and capacity for truth has increased. Um, And also I would say my humility, my humility for truth, my my, uh, receptivity is the word that I was looking for, my receptivity to truth. (sighs) Yeah, I feel that describes it. Yeah. 
Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Hmm. What comes up for me is, um, I think, the reconnection of love within me. And um, what love does, I think, I listened to a teaching of Hamid when he said this being a per part of the circle of lovers, but also it's like loving the truth. But that I realized when you love something, you, or he says, when you love something, it's also connected to a roomy poem he's, he's referring to, you want to get to know everything about it. And I'm realizing I'm giving myself a lot of self-love by the inquiry and also by showing up for my friends or being interested in them or being interested in my inquiry partner, inquiry partner. Um, and then, then it's the ride. <laughs> and I don't know if it's, it's like part of the diamond intelligence that you talked about, but that I do not know what is going to happen when, when in the pauses, like in the um, in the spaces in between teaching or in the spaces when someone isn't talking, and energy fields start shifting, and I can feel things I didn't know, or when I think that I'm processing, like I go for a retreat week and I'm processing something, and then I all of a sudden I start to process something different that comes up all of a sudden because it is ready. And I had no idea that it was there. It was like I forgot it was there. Um, I love that ride of um, having my obstacles show up and explore them and feeling this trust. I feel a lot of trust for the diamond approach and, and for the teachers. And also hearing you speak about the teacher process, I realized like why I feel so much trust, like the work you're really putting into yourself to be able to support others. Makes me so happy. And um, yeah, I just, I just love that. I love that ride of loving places of myself that I realized that I didn't know I had stopped loving or maybe I did know, but I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful. Very both of you to hear that. A lot of love and truth. <laughs> A lot of love and mm. truth. Yeah, and sincerity. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. it's very very needed in our path too isn't it by all of us because we we do our inquiry exercises together several times every weekend where we're sitting with one another the people in our group and the fact that you know we're all to some extent turned towards sincerely looking and wondering and opening that really creates a, a field for for all of us students and teachers alike. We're all contributing to. Hmm. I have a question, which is a personal question. What what do you feel is um, 
what do you hold as important in your life? What do you find important? Do you have anything in life that you find important? My connection with what is real is the most important thing. So connecting with what is real then in whatever is happening in my life. It's, it's always been that first. If I'm real and doing something, that's, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I love to be real and I, that's what I really value. And what would you say is real for you right now? What do you feel is the reality of it, of the moment for you? It's uh, the, the love that I'm feeling in my heart. It feels like a, kind of a combination of lo- love and joy and truth. the field of presence that is here. The silence. Yeah, as, as you were saying, as you were saying, Elin, that like we don't know what's going to arise. So really, what whatever is here in every moment is what is real and true. And we learn that more and more over the years as we contact presence, qualities of presence, awareness, space in their purity. That's what's real, and it comes in all these different forms of incredible, deep personal contentment, vast, incredible, powerful manifestation, or or that that love and the mystery. that is beyond this world, but it's at the heart of this world as well. Um, So many, so many different uh, ways we experience the goodness of true nature and of being. I think that's the beauty of the open-ended inquiry and and that in our path, there is no goal. We're not trying to be something. We're not trying to be in non-duality all the time. Because that's not natural, not only for our dynamics changing soul, but our dyna- our soul isn't any different from the reality. So the dynamic changing reality is is always coming and changing, but always has that realness, goodness, truth 
And if we try to hang our hat on any spiritual experience, try to stay there, you know, that's our personality coming and going, okay, like I'll hook on to this place. This is pretty special. Feel like this is valuable. Yeah, so that is my answer was the right now. And if something else was arising, I'd give you a different answer probably. Mm. And it's not that I don't get caught in reactivity. But more and more, more and more, there's less of less of my personality self here. And uh, some 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 contact with some quality of reality myself and the world beyond. Feels like that a pretty good space to I don't know round off or now we've been going for a while. Hmm. Maybe before we end though, I'll say a little bit about uh the cultural conditioning of our soul and also the essential personhood. Uh, just because that's so important as well. Um, and I'll, I'll just try to, to bring forth the essences of those and not go on for an hour. Our, our personality sense of self has an identity part and a, a personal part. And, and when we are in contact with our personality or identified with it, those aren't easy to separate out necessarily. But it, it is a, uh, all of the different flavor, flavors or patterns of sense of self that are there. And we talked about moving through the identity part of that sense of self. And there's also the personal personhood part of that sense of self. And that's so important because our essential person is a developed form of our soul that being takes in order to interact with others and function, just do our daily tasks, move this body through the world. Our, our um, Western culture is quite complex, so there's a lot of tasking. It allows us the potential to do that as an essential person, an essential form of a person. That is not our personality. And 
our personhood, it starts, uh, I think, I would say the origins to developing the personality limitation of our personhood starts a little earlier than our identity because right off the bat, our soul comes into a body, we're born, and we're interacting with our, our, the people around us, our mother. If we have a mother and father, our mother and father. If we have two mothers, two fathers, whoever are our primary caregivers, we are interacting with them. And that is, and our parents, they have patterns of ways that they like to be interact with that make them feel good and that not so much because of their history. And their patterns also pattern our souls, the way we are responding and reacting to them, what gives us good feelings. And uh, need to stay, yeah, we need to stay in good feelings. We're, we're helpless. We need that psychologically and physically to have a, a good positive relationship to some extent to our, our mother, father, parents. Maybe it's grandparents that raise us. Maybe it's a whole tribe of people. Some people get raised by a a whole tribe group. But that relating starts early and it starts to pattern this imitation of our personhood. And it's the same with, with functioning. We're learning how to take a piece of food and put it into our mouth. But first we're like going, oh, I was a soul. And oh my gosh, what is this? I think this is attached to me and I can control it. And then that can do things. It can put food in our mouth and it could stand up and and walk and tie our shoes. And so the whole time that our personality is developing, learning how to relate to the people around us in a patterned way and learning how to function and move in our body, um our soul is being formed and patterned into personality patterns and those are the ways that we through our whole childhood and into our teenage years but it's pretty set in our childhood our main patterns are pretty set in our childhood there was a great uh, documentary i don't know if you've heard about it i think it's called I forget what it's called. The tagline was, show me the child, I'll give you the man. Show me the child, I'll give you the woman. And they followed children every seven years and interviewed them all the way up into their 50s. And this gave us, the audience, the chance to see how the same patterns in the childhood continued through the whole person's life really beautiful. Um, So that since our personality is forming at the same time that our soul is learning how to relate and function is why it's so hard to recognize that there can be an essential person, actually, that even if we are very realized in non-duality, We don't have to function through a personality structure. We can move through that, 
again, our, our, our path gives very good knowledge and wisdom about how to move through that um, to, to develop that uh, early personal self. And, and again, like the point of existence with uh, the full personhood, nothing is missing, fully complete. There's value within that, within the, our structure, and it takes on a, a, a personal quality. And it's autonomous. It's, it's psychologically autonomous because we're not, our personality is always relating to another. It's pattern on our relationships to uh, the people around us in our childhood. And we take those relationships and we continue them with other people or we react to them and, and do the opposite. And then our, our, our thought forms in our head, you know, we're always talking to someone. Our personality has all this company that goes along with it. But once that is worked through, there's just kind of aloneness without feeling alone. Because those qualities of love that give us company through love and all the qualities of goodness make up the person that we are in the world. And again, moving through the wound of that personhood uh, is a little bit similar to the identity, except that it's deeper within the soul. Like, the, the identity is more like this layer uh, shell of sheen that over our body that we kind of have put there. But since our soul is learning to relate and function so early, the wound of that being an imitation of what is real is it's like it's felt within the fabric of our soul as our soul like our whole soul field becomes painfully deficient and inadequate to relate and function in a real way. And just to know that again, just to know that, okay, this is how my soul feels. It's very hard not to identify with it because since by then we know what our soul is, we know what that presence is. It's hard not to go, oh, dang, maybe I am deficient. But um, you go and, and in the Pearl book, it's like, oh, yeah, people identify with that state because it is within the fabric of the soul. Maybe I'm not really deficient. Maybe I need to, to look at this. And it gives you just a little bit of uh, separation, disidentification, and then in the inquiry can fold a little bit more. But again, it's a painful, deficient, empty state. Empty and deficient of your very person, of your very soul. The beauty of moving through that is that you don't have to experience states of presence and then put on an ego structure again in order to in the world like your the essential self the essential personhood comes down into the world 
this beautiful, precious pearl. And they call it the pearl because they actually, you know, how all qualities of presence have a, a texture to it. And it actually feels very pearly. So it's good for people to know that that's a potential and our path really uh, communicates the potential of being a person in the world, both in our identity and our personhood. And then I'll just want to say um, really quick about our cultural conditioning, because all of our personal conditioning really is pretty much complete in our childhood. We might have other things that condition us personally after that, if they're really um, uh, make a deep impression. But our personality is pretty set already in our childhood and those patterns established. We are also conditioned by the culture around us. Because just like our sense of self has beliefs about ourself, and those beliefs pattern who we see in front of us, who we're relating to in front of us. It's like we put a veil on people. We put a veil on tasks, like for one person, it's like, oh my God, I could never do my taxes. Uh, you know, they're putting the veil of their past over that. The same thing is happening with our society, our societal conditioning and our cultural conditioning. We have beliefs and values that are proposed by our society that we take, we take on. And in the Western world, we have media that is showing us a slice of things that are happening around the world that we tend to forget is just a slice. It's like there's this 3D world. Imagine a 3D circle or sphere. And every time we watch media, it's a 2D slice through that world. But people tend to take that 2D slice, then make it the whole 3D sphere. And that patterns how they experience the world. And so our culture, so being aware of our cultural conditioning, and I'll say this before I say that, um, like our personality conditioning is done in our childhood, our cultural conditioning never ends. We are constantly under the influence of society and the, the world around us, its beliefs, its values, its norms, what's normal, what's ideal. And there are certain, just like in, to, there's certain things that really is helpful for our personal growth, like just knowing uh, those relationship units that we tend, that the personality tends to form always in relationship to another. It's the same thing with our cultural conditioning, knowing some things like about media literacy, uh, knowing how to take in media where we're not just believing everything that's put in front of us, and where we're always recognizing that it's just a slice. And the things that make us angry or 
or that we're reacting to, we can we can wonder, okay, anger is coming up, but but strength isn't coming up. Why why is that? Why is essential strength not there? There's a an imitation, a barrier to that. What is that about? And it's the same inquiry process for our cultural conditioning that we do with our personal conditioning. And the the benefit of that, one of the many benefits is that we are not in a relation, we are not in a personality relationship with the world as far as the social news goes, the social news media goes. We are actually can be real within interacting with the world, interacting with media, the things that we want to, we want, that we believe in, that we want to um, be active towards. We can go, go, go do that from a personal place, not from something that's triggering trauma or triggering our reactivity. And that's something that that we are starting to develop in the diamond approach, ways to work with that cultural conditioning. Because so often I think people get some level of spiritual realization and they think that then they're separate from society or they take that, I'm not really affected by society. But really all of us are a part of the society around us, whether we're active in it or not, both are powerfully affecting what is happening in our society, in our world. So to just be clear, not everyone's is meant to act in society. I'm not saying that one is good and one is not, but there are certain things that can clarify our relationship to that conditioning, to where we our spiritual realization doesn't have to be separate from who we are in relation to the society around us and the world. Thank you, Kirsten. Sharing all your learning, your knowledge, so with so much love and so much consideration. I can really feel that come through. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and insight. Yeah, this Thank certainly you. will be one of these episodes that I would like to re-listen to and go like, oh wow, because there's been so much knowledge and transmission. Uh, yeah, so thank you. Thank you a lot for that. Ah, oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, both of you, for inviting me. And thank you so much for doing these podcasts. Yeah. It's really a great thing. Mm. Yeah. Good to hear. I feel your love for the path too and your engagement and and your engagement with the teachers and what opens up for you during these talks. Hmm. A lot of appreciation for the both of you. Yeah. And are you accepting new students? I I am. Yeah. I am. Hmm. Okay. So I have a few a few places open for new students, a few spots. Okay. Yes. Lovely. Okay. Mm, all right. All Thank right. You for in and uh, till next yeah. time.
Right. You go well. Take care, both of you. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>